All right, everybody, welcome back to Reform Apologetics. Y'all know my name is Steve. I'm going to be in the blank. So is John um, for the time being. Um, no camera. We're going to use the audio. But this is the discussion I posted for a couple of weeks ago that we are going to be speaking about accepting or rejecting salvation. Now, not so much within that title of where we're going to be, um, but I think our conversation will wrap around that one question um, in some sorts of ways. Um, so I think it's a good emphasis word we can use. Uh, I have I do have Justin and Matthew with us. Um, and of course, it's me as John and John as normal. Um, and we're just going to have we're not in a debate. We're just having a simple discussion um, to see where we're at and to maybe get answers back and forth from each other. Um, why we stand on because we would both affirm that what we believe or all four of us would affirm that what we believe um in scripture is the truth and what it teaches and that we practice it and follow it to the best of our abilities and our understandings uh, that it's been revealed to us um so i would like to ask is in matthew first um where is your stance on um what we would know as free will um go ahead okay uh so yeah i believe that um our free will is the ability to choose between good and evil. Uh, but at the same time, I do accept the fact that because of original sin, our able, our um, our ability to do so has been damaged, definitely. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's been completely destroyed. Um, so at the same time, I do see the effects of original sin. And um, I do believe that we would probably choose, we would be more inclined to sin because of original sin. But I wouldn't say that we wouldn't be able to choose anything else but sin. So I, I think that would be my definition of free will and how original sin affects it. Okay. What about you, Justin? What do you think? Um, so I actually did my undergraduate thesis and my master's thesis on free will. And I still <laughs> don't know what I think about it. Uh, though I think that I, I kind of found the key in Augustine, I think. Uh, in fact, today is appropriately the feast day of St. Augustine. Uh, mm. So happy feast of Augustine. May he uh, pray for us all. And um, I think ultimately it comes down to a concept that he he says really is, is a matter of our um humility or our pride in fact he would say that the only choice we really have is to serve self or to serve other to serve self or to serve god and that disposition is the one thing we can change and even then sometimes we can't change it but we can will to want to change it and then allow grace to come in and do the actual changing um lots of philosophers have pointed out and i think that this is accurate that at the end of the day, we all seek the good. We all seek to do what we judge to be the highest good or the best good or the greatest good or whatever it happens to be. But we have, of course, a whole spectrum of competing goods out there, spiritual goods, moral goods, physical goods, uh, etc. And a lot of times we put a lower good in front of a higher good, and that is oftentimes the root of sin. So almost every sin you can think of, there is some good being pursued, even the most heinous sins. Um, you can find a good that's in there, but it's distorted, it's warped, uh, it's broken, and it's it's bent in on itself in, in, a, in a selfish way. Um, guys like Thomas Aquinas would speak of free will, and, and the, the Latin word is liberum arbitrium, uh, which basically means freedom of the judgment. 
um, not so much the will. In fact, Aquinas would even say that the will is not super free, um, but the judgment is. So he actually takes the idea of how we come to decisions back a step. Um, and he says it, it, our freedom really lies in, in, in picking up and looking at the things, the concepts or whatever, and saying, this is the good I need to follow. No, this is the good I want to follow. And uh, ultimately, whatever we're convinced of is the good or the highest good that we, we ought to follow is usually the thing that we're going to, to follow. But our, our freedom comes insofar as it's free in being able to stop at any point and, and say, wait a minute, is this the good I should be pursuing? Um, Here's a here's a quote from St. Augustine, because I just happened to write this down. I probably even knew that it was his feast day today. Um, he says this. He says, men who love some other object want what they love to be the truth. And because they do not want to be deceived, they refuse to be convinced that they have been deceived. Therefore, they hate the truth for the sake of the very thing which they have loved instead of the truth. They love truth because it brings light to them. They hate it in as much as it reproves them. That's from uh, Book Ten of the Confessions. And then, um, anyways, I don't know if that answers the question about free will. In a, in a sense, uh, our freedom lies really in choosing to work with grace or work against grace. Is what I would say. And that may that may rub some feathers the wrong way. I don't know. Uh, uh, depending on how you feel about the resist resistibility of God's grace. Um, but I think that our, our will really comes down to our ability to, to resist his grace because he allows us to resist his grace in a sense. I understand that. I understand your, a lot of your thinking on that. Um, and no, you're not ruffling my feathers. That's why I get the background and knowing. So I kind of knew where y'all would go with it or, um, where you would think about it, but not trying to assume, but, um, but just thinking on that matter. Um, me on a on a free will basis is my understanding is what I that's why I said something about earlier that we are dead into dead in sin. Um, I don't believe we are sick in sin. I don't believe I'm crippled in sin. I believe I'm dead in sin. Um, and by this aspect is um, this to start tying the things of predestination or whom God chooses to um, to reveal Himself to. Um, but when it boils down to it, um, by our nature, fallen at, sons of Adam. Um, I believe that we inherently will um, always sin, that we are slaves to sin, as Christ has said, that we um, we, we were going to do what by our nature perceives us to do, and we're going to sin. Um, can we do good as an aspect of a human um, perspective? Well, sure. What would be perceived as good, um, even a person dead in sin that's outside of Christ can uh, love others, give to others, um, Things like that, which we would see as good. Um, but when it comes to actually stepping into um, salvation on a salvific issue, um, that's where I would say no, that we do not have this ability to. And I don't believe um, that the scriptures teach that God gives the same grace um, as an irresistible grace, as I would believe in, um, that it can be resisted. And we in that simple text of things uh, within predestination, Romans 8, or especially John 6, um, I don't see a lot of will in there, but I see some things that reference to that's not of the will. Um, like, uh, let's say, uh, well, let me jump easy. It's easy for us to jump into Romans 9, but let me just say for that one verse. Um, um, 
verse nine or chapter nine, verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on who I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exert exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it's, it's not about what I do, my will or this person's will, but on God's will, because only God is truly free. We, that's where I, I, I do we have any option of saying, well, I want my steak medium or I want it mid-rare? Sure. Do I want ice cream or do I want a soda instead? Well, sure. Those are free choices that I, I honestly make. And, but those aren't salvific choices. Um, but I don't see, when I get to the text, what I see is, is people are lost. Um, and the, the conversation, which a lot of people bring up to me, I'd be like, okay, well, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve would, had a choice. Absolutely, Adam and Eve had a choice, but they never had a free choice when it boils down to it. They had choice, but guess what? They couldn't touch the fruit. So they was not entirely free, but they was free. But the fall of them is where we take from afterwards. So they have fallen into sin, and you can obviously see from Genesis 3 to onwards, um, what has man done? Depravity, death, sickness, so on and so forth, um, that has come from this. Um, I, th I think sin is a very, very, very serious thing um, that Christ was crucified for this. But when I look at aspects, this is where I have to touch just for a second. It's a predestination. And it's why I believe that um, grace cannot be irresistible, cannot be resisted, um, at least in a salvific way. Um, and that's aspects of things like I've quoted before, Acts 13, 48, for those who were appointed to eternal life believed. So we see that there was a class of group of people that was listening to the gospel, heard the gospel, and they was appointed to. They was chosen before him. This was part of the predestination um, aspect. And because they was predestined, they believed. Um, this is the work of God, not the work of me or anyone else. Um, simple situation with like Lazarus. Um, Lazarus couldn't openly come up out of the tomb himself, but it was when Christ called out to him that he rose from the dead and come forth. I believe that's the same um, understanding as we see it in um, with the spirit. I'm dead in sin. I'm spiritually dead. I'm physically alive, but I'm spiritually dead. So I see the same exact aspects. He calls out, his sheep hear his voice, they respond and they come forth. Um, so it's a freedom there is an aspect of saying, well, I don't see any text that's, I mean, if you can show me differently, I'm, I'm open to it, but I've yet to see it. Um, any aspect that says that I have this freedom when it comes to it, I see that I'm dead. Christ um, reveals himself to some, not to all. He actually thanks God for not allowing some to see and to be hardened and not turn from their sins and be healed. Um, he points out to the Pharisees that you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Um, things like this. There's a reason they don't believe. Um, not that they choose not to. It's well, they're they're choosing they're choosing to reject. Yeah, I agree. Um, but they don't believe because they're not a sheep. Um, so I don't see much freedom in that. Um, instead, I see we're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Slaves aren't free. Um, what do you think about it, John? Yeah, like I couldn't say that better, honestly. Um, I'm thinking of John 8, uh, John 8, uh, verse 43. Um, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
and uh, contextually is referring to uh, specific Jews who uh, believed for a while and then at the end of John 8, they're picking up stones to stone him. So I, I would believe that to be a aorist faith, faith that uh, fades away over time, not saving faith. And um, in verse 43, he says, I'm going to bring this up real quick. Says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. And he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a, he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So the reason they could not believe him is because they were not of God. Okay. If you're of God, you hear the words of God. If you're not of God, you can't hear his word. So if you can't hear his word... Faith comes by hearing in Romans ten seventeen. By the word of Christ. So I would say that if you're not of God, if you're not regenerated, if you're not born again, you can't hear that word. And that that's just my thoughts on that. That was a good summary. I tried to make it brief because I have so much notes, but I don't want to uh, go too much into it. So, so, well, would one of y'all, well, would either one of y'all agree that that God gives everyone the same grace to respond? Um, scripture says, amongst other things, that God is love. Mm-hmm. That God created man in His image. Mm-hmm. That God wills the salvation of all, but it seems to be the case that not all are going to be saved. We know that with God, all things are possible. We know that he can do all things that are possible. So it seems to me that there's something outside of his will that affects salvation. And because of that, I, I kind of have to come down on the side of, of free will. Now, there's a whole lot of really weird interplay between a God who is outside of time, who knows past, present, and future, all as though it's one big cosmic now for him. You know, he, he sees you sin next week, not because you're not free, but because he's there with you as you sin. And he's here with you now, and he's there when you were born, and he's there with you when you die, all in the same kind of instantaneous moment, being the author of all things, including, including time itself. Um, I just lost my train of thought. You're good. <laughs> um, just one second. I was going to ask a question about what you do. So I guess, so here's uh, what I would say, as far as the Catholic um, understanding of all this goes, I think that we have a lot of overlap, actually, um, even on things like depravity. Uh, I don't think we would use the phrase total depravity, but I think that we would agree um, that you know, without grace, we, we can't do anything. Um, it seems to be the case that God is willing to give, I guess this is the question you asked. I would say God is willing to give the grace to everyone that they need to be saved um, because he himself says in his scripture that he wills the salvation of all and that he is love. And the thing that love does is it gives freely to another, um, you know, for the sake of the other, expecting nothing in return. And 
literally that's the whole point. In fact, that's why God says he, he, he allowed that all would fall, that he might have mercy on all, right? It, it made, made the debt greater, but it made his ability to give us love greater, our ability to need him greater, uh, so on and so forth. And so the, the circumstances we find ourselves in is you know, totally the circumstances that he more or less set up for whatever, you know, for his, the reasons of his divine providence. Um, but I don't think that necessarily precludes us being free uh, inside the realm of how we interact with that grace. So now what it looks like when he gives everyone the grace, we don't know. Um, and honestly, and this is going to sound weird if it's not something you've ever considered, but if you read First uh, Peter 3, he talks about, um, you know, in the days of Noah, or he talks about, well, he says, Jesus descended to the dead, and there he preached to the spirits who were in prison in Hades, who were uh, disobedient in the days of Noah. And it, it doesn't sound like Jesus is giving victory laps. It sounds like he is presenting the gospel to those who were in prison. Now, this is hell. This is this is Hades. This is Sheol. This is the abode of the dead. It's not the same thing as hell. So I would imagine that, you know, choice isn't operating in the same fashion there as it is in heaven. But it at least points to the fact that it seems to be possible that God can reach even those people, even after it seems that the final seconds have have, have ended. And whenever I think about this, I, I subsequently think about the parable of the workers in the field, the ones who go out at eight in the morning, ones who go out at 10, ones who go out at two, ones who go out at four, and they all get paid the same wage, even if they came in at the last minute. And the ones who were working all day were like, well, we've been here longer. Shouldn't we get paid more? And, and you know, the, the master of the harvest, God says, um, you know, you agreed to the wage. I paid you a fair wage. Don't begrudge me if I'm extra merciful uh, with what I have. Don't begrudge my generosity um, with what I have. And so I think that that paints a picture of a father who is a father and not a father who willingly damns people. Um, I think that if you want to make the argument that God's grace is irresistible and he gives it to some and not to others, um, what you're basically making, and, and you may be totally kosher with this idea, uh, but you're making the argument more or less that if you're saved, it's because of God, which is fine, it's Catholics would agree, but if you're damned, it's because of God as well. You have literally no choice in the matter. And so I guess I would turn around and ask you the question, because as a Catholic, I would say if you're saved, it's because of God, but if you're damned, it's because of you, right? It's because you did something that resisted that grace. Do you would you agree with that statement that if you're damned, it's it's simply because God wanted you to be damned? Absolutely not. I think that would actually kind of lean towards a misrepresentation of okay. all that I would know. Um, you, you can't help when you start in predestination, you'll yeah. get into dual predestination. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So the aspect of saying this is, and I've used the same analogy. If God, if, if I walk into Walmart and find 20 people, but I give 10 people a hundred dollars a piece and the rest of them get mad at me. Well, what do I owe them? Nothing. I don't owe them a simple thing. I just was gracious for 10. Um, so if one person is damned because of the aspect it's not it's not against it's nothing as in the aspect of saying okay well god chose to damn them now there is some truth to that i cannot deny that but at the same aspects all people have sinned against god period so god is just for allowing people or to pass over whom he chooses and to be merciful to whom he chooses as i just read in romans 9 and where aspects is where i would keep going with that is saying okay well Pontius Pilate or anyone else, could they have woke up that morning and chose Pontius Pilate was like, you know what? I'm going to let Jesus go. Could he have done that by his own free will? That, I think he could have. He could have? Definitely. 
I don't yeah. believe so. I don't believe the text says that because it actually says differently. Um, Acts 4, 28. Um, or let me actually start in 27. For truly that the city was gathered together against you and your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, to the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. So again, could they have stepped out? Because if so, then God would have to find somebody else and find a different way to get Jesus crucified at that specific time, at that specific area. So, so I aspect of God's sovereignty is over man's freedom. But was did Pontius Pilate use his freedom in that aspect? Well, sure. He used his freedom. Yep. And so did the Jews and the Gentiles, everybody else. They, they were using their freedom. They wanted to crucify Jesus. But it says it right here that whatever your hand had predestined to take place, the Messiah was going to be slain. Isaiah 53. So would the you say that... Going, go ahead. So would you say that... Oh, Thank you. Uh, so would you say that God permitted permitted this to happen or that he made it happen? For example, with like Pontius Pilate, you know, when Pontius Pilate decided to, you know, flog Jesus and crucify him, would you say that God actively was involved in making that happen or did he just permit it to happen? This See, this is the way I see this, is God does not tempt us. He does not put sin in our heart. No way in any sort of fashion. But does God... Can we, we are sinners, absolutely. And even in the worst of sinners, God still puts restraint to us. So when we're saying, we, I would never kill nobody, I would never do this, I would never do that. Um, says who? So who? Who's to say that? The only reason we don't is because of the restraint of God. And I believe that God is sovereign in all things, every little thing. Mm. And that's why I asked that simple question of saying, so if this is predestined, this is predetermined to happen, then there's nothing that they could have done to change it. It's not that I'm uh, interpreting the text. I'm just read the text. Whatever your hand had predestined to take place, and I ask that. And then, and and let me with that thought is something I, that I bring up a lot in Isaiah 10, um, with Assyria. Um, let me run to it real quick. While you're uh, looking it up, uh, I would I would say one thing about the text there in. Um, in, in Acts, and that is that it's very, very possible that God fordains certain events to happen, but fordaining certain events to happen is not the same thing as uh, willing individuals to to go to hell, right? And so that's, yeah. a, that's a categorically different sort of a thing, and it very well, and I, I don't know the mind of God, obviously it's inscrutable and, and whatnot, but we do know certain things axiomatically about him, that he is love, and that he wills the salvation of all, so even in his grand designs, even if he, he needed this particular passion to play out the way that it did, I don't know that he did, I know that, that it seems to be the case that this was the best way, or the most fitting way, I think that, that God could bring about salvation in a number of different ways, potentially, but this is obviously the way that he 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 views it as most appropriate, uh, most fitting, um, most loving. Um, you know, wh whatever it happens to be, whatever the mind of God sees as as being good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything else in Pilate's life was foreordained. It doesn't mean that Pilate was foreordained to absolutely go to hell uh, or not. I think there's actually some some pious uh, early Christian uh, legends about. Um, Pontius Pilate converting because of his wife down the road. I don't know that there's any real historical merit to him, but uh, I think it even it captured the imagination of the early Christians. Um, as far as the Walmart example goes, though, I, I want to touch on that too while you're looking up the Isaiah passage. Um, and I'd say the, the one difference, and all analogies break down if you push them far enough, right? If you go to Walmart, you don't owe anybody $10. 
and you know, if you go in there with 50 bucks in your pocket or hundred bucks in your pocket, you give out $10 to, to so many people, your finite money is done at some point and you can't give it out. Now let's assume that everyone is locked inside a Walmart and in order to get out of Walmart, you have to pay $10 and the Walmart can implode in, in an hour. Right. So, and everyone has no money. You're the only guy with money in there. If you only have a hundred bucks, you're only gonna get 10 people out of there. And you, you might want to hang on to one of those for yourself, but obviously God is eternal and infinite, right? His, his grace is not limited. And so if we're all stuck in the, the Walmart of this world <laughs> and you know, the, the result of being in that Walmart is hell. Well, God doesn't only have a hundred graces that he can give out. And once he's given the other hundred, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck. He can give out unlimited grace. In fact, if he gives you, if he gives you the $10 bill, you might take it, crumple it, throw it away. And later on say, I know I threw it away, but can I have it back? And he has so yeah. much that he's willing to give it to you again. And you can still crumple it, give it away. And you can still yeah. come back again and say, and the, go ahead. Uh, yeah. The perfect uh, example of that would be the particle of the, um, I'm sorry, the, the parable, the parable of the prodigal son, mm -hmm. where he initially gave it, gave it away. He gave away his inheritance, but then he came back and he received it again. So we see biblical examples of this kind of thing happening all the time where people initially accept uh, what God gives them. But then later on, they're like, oh, I don't know if I want this. Then they throw it away and then they, some of them come back for it. Well, and and uh, an example that I wanted to. Hmm? It's the whole story of Israel, right? Yeah, that's God what I was going to say. In, in Exodus, for example, and giving it back. Yeah, and in Exodus, yeah, they they were saved from slavery in Exodus, and they're initially like, "Oh man, this is so awesome! God is so miraculous! This is so great!" But then, as the journey went on, they're like, oh, "I don't know if I like this." And then, um, you know, some of them doubted God. They betrayed or they disobeyed God. They um, disobeyed Moses. The golden calf being an example. Um, so it's possible for people to accept what God gives them initially. Um, but then kind of think about it later and say, well, I don't know if I want this. It's too difficult. That's, you know, it's, it's too hard. And that's another thing that uh, I think Luke 8, 13 uh, speaks of is um, those who believe for a while, but then fall away. So, um, so yeah, that's a, uh, there are biblical examples of that kind of thing happening. So I just wanted so, to add so on to would, what you said. You would take that as a, as a jumping in salvation, out of salvation, in salvation, out of salvation. Kind I of. would describe it more of, um, initially becoming God's friend and then saying, well, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And so you don't want to be his friend anymore. And what I mean by that is if you die as God's friend, right, you're obviously in his graces, right? But if you say no to him at any, you know, point of your life, you're no longer, you know, in relationship with him. You're no longer his friend, so to speak. And so I would describe it more of that way, not necessarily in salvation, out salvation, because I believe that salvation is the final event, not necessarily something that happens here and now. Uh, I believe that it's something that is um, achieved when you actually enter into heaven. You could say, I'm saved, because nothing can change that at that point. Because when you're in heaven, you can say that you're saved. So uh, I would say it's more of a relational kind of um, kind of thing where it's you, you um, become God's friend. And then, you know, if you die as his friend in his graces and your heart is inclined to him um, because of his grace, obviously, you can do nothing, do nothing without his grace. Um, so I would say if you die in that state, then you would go to heaven. But if you die in the state of not being his friend or not wanting to have anything to do with him, you know, you're not in any kind of relationship with him or you're in a very um, distant, cold or hateful, spiteful uh, relationship with him, um, then I would say if you die in that state, then you would not go to heaven because you don't really want to be, right? That's In that state, you're like, oh, I don't want to have anything, anything to do with God anymore. And so anyway, so that, that's just my, my view on that. So. But then that would be if you said they wouldn't go to heaven or would go to heaven, that would be in a salvation. That would be a salvation issue, eternal mm -hmm. salvation or not. 
Um, I believe that eternal salvation starts in the moment of the rebirth. And that is within the Christian because he says you have eternal life, not you will have, not later on. This is a text of saying that. But let me let me jump to the Isaiah point where I meant is when talking about the freedom is Isaiah 10, 5. He says, woe unto Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff, the hands of my fury against the godless nation, which the godless nation in this context is Israel. I will send him against my people of my wrath and I will command him to take spoil and to seize plunder. I will tread them down like the mire in the streets. But he does not so intend. Who doesn't intend to do this? Assyria. But who's using Assyria as the rod of their anger? God is. So even though Assyria does not intend to do this, God is using them. Can you show me this free will in there? Well, again, I have no problem with the concept. And I don't think the church would even have a problem with the concept that God can force certain actions that need to happen. Um, for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. Oh, sorry. There's he was chiming in there. Um, so, you know, and especially bear in mind that what Isaiah is speaking about is a natural chastisement, right? It is the punishment of the nation of Israel um, mm-hmm. or their, for their whorish ways, right? For, for going away from God repeatedly. And so he's rebuking them. He's correcting them, but he's doing it in a way that, I mean, everyone has a mortal life and that mortal life ends at some point. And what matters more than the mortal life is the thing that gives the strength to the martyrs. And Tertullian says the, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church, right? The, the thing that gives strength to the martyrs is knowing that no matter what justice or injustice you suffer in this life, God, who is the God of resurrection, the God of life, the God of the living, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he can reward you full measure pressed down overflowing in in the life to come right and so any sort of natural chastisements you experience are ultimately secondary issues that don't come into the question of his salvific will right he might pit nation against nation for his own reasons and as the author of life and death I'm willing to yield that to be his prerogative. Whether I think he does it often or all the time or seldom is a totally separate issue that I don't think we necessarily need to dive too far in. But even assuming he's literally forcing the the Assyrians to do this, and, and you know, uh, you'll, you'll hear, you know, he hardens Pharaoh's heart is how it sometimes is said. But it also says in other places Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So it may just be a, a textual or stylistic way of presenting God's overall overarching sovereignty. Um, over these these issues uh, and there's a lot of biblical scholars christian catholic um even even secular who have come up or come to this understanding that you'll oftentimes find different parts of scripture speaking in different ways and so you have to understand thematically what the scripture is trying to say the 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 point of view or perspective it's coming from because there's so many points of view you know from the very negative uh, ecclesiastes uh to the very boring and dry chronicles to you know the angry jeremiads uh to to the hope uh, that you see in you know the longing of Isaiah uh, in in a lot of his par- you know in a lot of his his prophecies. So there's a whole host and whole spectrum of ways that we can take each one of these, and that's one of the hard things about you know just trying to come to the scripture and say, well, it says this because I can I can hear what you just read in in Isaiah, and I can come up with five different ways to sort of understand that. Some of them are ways that I would find contradicting other parts of scripture, like God willing the salvation of all. You know, if He really is formally willing people 
to hell. But it, this in, this incident, the the chastisement of Israel, isn't that right? It's something that's totally different. It's something that's just in the the realm of the historical. And so I think that those are things that he could have a lot more control over. I mean, obviously, as a Catholic, we actually do think that he has total sovereignty in a sense. But his total sovereignty isn't a top down. Uh, forceful sovereignty, but more of a permissive sovereignty. He, he yeah. nothing happens that he wouldn't let happen, but he lets happen a lot. He allows sin, uh, as St. Thomas says, he allows sin that he can bring a greater good out of that sin. He allowed the fall that he could bring a greater good out of that. He allows for nation against nation and, and war in, in, in the, the part of the infinite miraculousness of God, who is love, is that he knows how to use even these most difficult moments to work for the greater good at the end of all things. And so I don't think it's necessarily problematic, even if God forces the hand of someone uh, like the king of Assyria or Pharaoh uh, or Pontius Pilate or anybody, if he occasionally does it. Now, I do think it'd be an interesting discussion whether or not they would be morally culpable if God did in fact harden their hearts and force them to do one of these actions um and that's you know maybe for another day because uh, of course blame uh moral responsibility really requires you to be a free agent it requires sure. you to be able to make a decision to do something or to not to do something if you really have no choice in the issue then that's like faulting baking soda for reacting with vinegar right it, <laughs> not the baking soda's fault in fact, if you view it through that lens, you can't really, you don't really have any justification to put people in jail or, um, or yeah. establish any other kind of punishment or correctional, uh, correctional method, because if it's not their choice, then you can't really blame them for it, and so you can't really punish them for it. I mean, you could punish them, but it would be, it would be behavioristic at best. You yeah. know, we, I would, we as a group don't like this behavior, so we shock you or whatever it happens to be go ahead Steve. sorry well well that's i'm glad you just said that matthew because that actually brought me because you even brought it up a second ago with being with pharaoh but i think it's an mm -hmm. interesting thing where he brings up with pharaoh um and you said um you know pharaoh hardened his own heart then we have text to say god said he was gonna uh harden pharaoh's heart and interestingly enough he told moses this before he even sent him there um that he was going to um but and often a lot of us i love I mean, a lot of us, some people reject Romans 9 a lot, and a lot of us love it. Um, but I have to ask is why in verse 7 or verse 19 of Romans 9, why would he even bring up that rejecting question of saying, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? Why bring that up if this is a text or this is a, an understanding of saying, well, they could have accepted or rejected this. And this is, this is where I was saying earlier, it's kind of a misrepresentation with uh, dual predestination. I just, and when I use the analogy of Walmart, I understand what you mean that God has all the grace. My point was being is the other 10 people are upset, but what did God owe them for all have sinned against God. There is no one that seeks God. We have all sinned against God. Now, you know, God is love. Amen. But God is also a merciful and just God, and His justice must be shown as well. Um, but Him bringing up why 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 bring that up? Who can resist His will? But in Paul's response, but who are you to answer back to God? Why bring these statements up if there was some freedom within this? Um, and why does He make it so clear for uh, the Scriptures say for this very purpose that I raised you up that I may show my power in you? And that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
and then have mercy on whom he wills and hardens who he wills. Um, so that would be a hardening even more. We notice that if we look at the story of Pharaoh, um, the more and more um, plagues that came, the more Moses showed up, the harder his heart got. Um, and I see that as a God withdrawing his hand. Um, God does not owe it to anyone. If God is a just God. God is just all the way to not give us any grace and send us all to hell. Can we, any of us blame him? Nope. I would hope. I hope the answer would be no. You would have all sinned against. I would blame him if he forces me to hell for no reason I can control. I think sure. that that bespeaks of a God who is not love. But that's not. That's not. But we have His all. His ways may be above my ways, but I'm still in hell entirely because he chose for me to go to hell. And that that no, leads no, no, me no. to that, um. That that's not what. But that would be implying that we haven't sinned against him. Well, that's because why I wanted we, to uh, we, ask you real quick. Um, so I was going to ask you, would God be more justified in condemning people with a sinful nature or condemning people who actively sin? Sinful nature. The sin is a sin. You have be sinned against an eternal God. That's that's the point. One sin. So so if One a, so if there is a maybe a, a three year old who hasn't really committed any serious sin, would God be justified in condemning that person to hell because of their sinful nature? That Absolutely. Gets Absolutely. Absolutely. We are born with sin. Yeah, yeah three because that, yeah, that would be getting yeah. into the doctrine of accountability, age of accountability. And I don't believe in a age of accountability. Right. We are born sinners as from the womb, as even David says. You are a, under the, okay, the headship of Adam. So how is God not just to do so? Now, his way, what he does is what he does. Now, we, we would be looking at that on an emotional issue. But have all sinned against God? Is everyone born sinner? Are you born so under? So, what serious Adam? sin could that three-year-old have committed? It's not a matter of that. It's not my thought. That's not. I'm looking at what the text says. Does the text say that we are born sinners? Are we under the headship of Adam? So let, let me actually bring it back farther. What would you say about a one-year-old or an infant that's born with a sinful nature? Would God be con, uh, justified in condemning that person to hell? Why wouldn't he be? Right. Uh, because that infant or the one-year-old hasn't actually done anything. Um, now, of course, I would. But he's say, born under the don't... headship of Adam. That's born under the headship of Adam. Yeah, Psalm fifty-eight three says, "The wicked are estranged from the womb; those who speak lies go astray from birth." So it's not something that happens at some age, like. So age you would you say that they go astray immediately, or they go astray later on in life? Birth. That would immediately. Yeah, I agree. So, what kind of action could a one-year-old or an infant commit that would lead them astray from God? Um, evil thoughts. I mean, evil thoughts from. Anybody. So, what kind of evil thought could an infant have against his mother? I mean, so you you would affirm an age of accountability, right? That's where you would go with that. Yeah, yes. I think that makes sense. Okay, age of accountability. How old and what do I have to do first to be accountable? That's for the judge to decide. He knows what you know. He knows yep. your level of accountability. And it's probably, in all honesty, if he's truly just and merciful, a sliding scale. Um, and and again, as Catholic, I'm always trying to paint the picture, because I think this is the picture God wants us to paint of him, that he is a loving father who wills the salvation of all. And so there, there's this really common 
um, theme in some levels of Protestantism. And I think that I'm, I'm not trying to project this onto you. Hence the, you know, the double predestination conversation, everything else. Um, I'm not trying to say that you necessarily hold to this, but there's this, this idea. Um, I think it was Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God, that, that famous sermon that he delivered. It's like, God is holding you like a, like a spider over the flame. And he's just looking for any reason to drop you. But I think that the, the story of scripture is, is quite the opposite. God is actually, <laughs> he's holding you over heaven, looking for any reason to let you in. But yeah salvation is a two-way street and that's the one thing you know that that god wills the salvation of all but maybe not all will be saved and if not all are saved it's because there's something in our will that resists god and we know that we can resist the holy spirit paul says that in acts 7 he says you, know, you guys you you keep resisting the holy spirit just as your uh just as your fathers did and so we, I, we do have the oh, ability yeah. to resist grace sorry go ahead. do you mind if i uh, quote one passage of uh, one short little passage of scripture yeah. before we continue Okay, so there's one passage from the Old Testament that really uh, stood out to me as I read this, and it goes as follows. It's from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, and it says this, But you refused to go up. You defied the command of the Lord your God. You set to murmuring in your tents. Out of hatred for us, the Lord has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the power of the Amorites and destroy us. So when I read that, that particular passage, to me at least, just screams free will because you can't really refuse anything or deny anything if you don't have free will. So what, what do you think of that? Uh, before I touch on that, I'm really I, I let I let um, Justin jump chime in on that one. Sure. Um, I have to ask. Um, I, I kind of want to go back to the age of accountability thing real quick. Sure. And the reason for that is, can you show me a text? That says anything that the infant is disqualified from this. Well, uh, going back to Romans, um, this is Romans uh, nine or ten. Sorry, I'm Catholic, so I'm really bad at citing the Bible. So bear with me. <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> it's it's in the blood. I can't help it, right? Um, this is Romans nine uh, verses ten and following. Uh, and so not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, uh, although they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in God's purpose of election, that it might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So God made a decision for his own purposes, that he was going to favor Jacob over Esau. But scripture tells us very clearly that they had done nothing, either good or bad. Um, and so there is there seems to be the case that and in fact we can see this in lots of other places where accountability comes in so at one point this is in john i want to say it's either 9 or 11 i can look it up for you if you want uh jesus is talking to the pharisees and he says to them you say to me that you hear and so your sin remains if you didn't hear if you didn't see uh you would not have sin but because you say we see or we hear we understand you have sin and so literally there are things that can affect your account your culpability your, your blamableness your accountability for certain sins and it, it it stands the reason what you know is going to affect that. So if you can grow in wisdom and stature, as even Jesus himself did, as Luke tells us, um, then your ability to understand the nature of sin is going to change uh, slowly over time. Now, ultimately, your ability to do good is always grace. It's always God giving you grace, that infinite Amen. grace all the time, like Walmart making it rain, right? Uh, God is always doing that with grace. He's always giving it to you. But you are always free to say no. Right. And it doesn't mean he stops, but you're always free to say no. Um, he's always saying yes. <laughs> he's always saying, take, take my hand, take my love. I am your father. I made yep. you. I delight in you. I love you. You are in the image and likeness of me. 
And yeah, things are broken. You you were born into a broken nature uh, because of sinful pride, uh, because your original forefather, the man, uh, broke something in humanity when he chose himself over and above me. So we are born into a damaged state where we we absolutely need grace to, to work. I think even in a perfect in a perfected state, we would need grace to work though. But the difference is we would have a lot less trouble responding to grace positively than we do in our fallen state where we're much more inclined to turn in on ourselves. So yeah, I think that I think scripture paints a lot of pictures about people being culpable for lots of different things. Um, in fact, there's a there's a, a parable in, in Luke 12 um, of a, a head steward who knows the will of the master and then decides to get drunk and because the master's delayed in coming. And so he beats all the maid servants and gets drunk and he's literally cut in half. That cut a mayo. He's, he's split in two and tossed out with the unbelievers. Uh, and then there is um, another steward who does the will of the master and he's rewarded and, and, and elevated and given stuff. And then there's two other people. Uh, there's actually four servants that Jesus touches on in this parable. It's towards the end of Luke 12. One of them is somebody who knew the will of the, of the master and just, tarried long and didn't do it and he receives a beating but he's not cut in half he's not uh, split in two or whatever and, and tossed with the unbelievers so he seems to not be kicked out of the kingdom but he does have a punishment and then there's also a guy who didn't know the will of the father or the will of the master and he because he didn't know he is let off with a i think luke uses the phrase a light beating or a, a light chastisement, right and so even inside of scripture we see the concept of God understanding, and the more we understand, the more we are to blame. So, you know, to who he who has more is expected, but more will be given as well, right? That's a very scriptural understanding. And obviously, some people have a lot more than other people do. I think you guys have a lot more biblical knowledge than, you know, just your average run-of-the-mill, you know, pew-sitting Christian or, or Catholic or, or whatnot. And so, you know, God is going to be working through you in ways that he can't work through those people because they're just not ready to hear it. But you also can resist it if you want to, um, or if you so choose to. They can resist it. They can also all of a sudden, you know, turn on. God can work with them. And I think that the way that grace works, God is always, he's looking for a chink in the armor, right, to, mm. to turn us into him, to, to, to help us to, to seek him, to follow him, to know him, to love him. And that that initial moment, so we are saved by grace through faith, as St. Paul says, right? And I think that initial moment is totally God. It's it's him pushing the button and getting getting a, like, a, like a fish hook in us, right? Um, but we can struggle. We can we can cast it off. He'll try again. Um, he'll try again to the end of our, our natural lives. Um, he'll he'll keep trying with us because he is a God who is love itself and wills the salvation of all. Can I if I add something to that real quick, um, Justin? So I wanted to add on to what you said. What? I feel like I'm monologuing. I'm sorry. I'm not trying. To <laughs> no, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Um, so I want to add on to that by saying um, there are examples of people um, persevering in what they've been given. Um, so you said that our initial justification is through faith. And God is the one who's active, right? We can't necessarily choose him because we're dead in sin. And so he chooses us and then, you know, uh, and then we can cooperate with him out of love, right? And so I wanted to add on to that by saying that even Paul speaks of how he um, kind of, you know, chastises himself or flogs himself um, so that he can make sure not to, um, you know, I'm trying to, you remember the verse? It's First Corinthians 9, 24. I, I whip myself a change lest I be disqualified. Yeah. So to be disqualified literally means to have been qualified. And then to, to, I mean, this is bordering on losing salvation now. Um, yeah. But it seems to be the case that he plays a part in his own salvation. And, and I mean, the whole message of all of Paul's letters is persist, abide, continue. 
And it seems to be the case yeah. that, and, and he says it over and over again, I can pull out a, a dozen passages if you really want, where he says people have chosen to leave the faith. They have, they have you know, given away. Mm -hmm. That even goes to the parable of the, the sower and the, and the seed, right? And so some of us wind up being rocky soil. Now, I think that the, the implication there that anyone in agrarian, agrarian society would know is you can cultivate your soil. So your soil doesn't have to be the path. Your soil doesn't have to be the rocky soil. Uh, it doesn't have to be thorny. You can you can cultivate the soil. So all of us should always be looking to, to, to cultivate our soil, right? Um, but at the end of the day, sorry, um, shoot, <laughs> I just lost it again. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, Saint Paul was talking about. Well, it just that salvation is something that God gives us, but it is something that we can reject. And so the the, the message of, of St. Paul, of St. Peter, of James is you need to persist. You need to abide. Yeah. Jesus is not yeah, we see, yeah, we see a lot of the word um, persevere in Scripture. Yeah. You know, those so, who persevere to the end and, um, you know, yeah. those are the passages that, see, uh, that, you know, where Paul warns the Christians not to perform, you know, a certain number of actions or else you will, you know, not inherit the kingdom of God, for example. And, you know, it wouldn't really make sense to say that unless it could happen, right? So yeah. it wouldn't really make sense for Paul to say, well, you have to keep yourself from these things, right? Now you're new Christians and that's awesome. But let me tell you about some things that you're not allowed to do anymore, right? These are some things that you've done before and you shouldn't have been doing them, but now you know better and now you shouldn't be doing these. And the reason why you shouldn't be doing these things is because it's going to affect you later on. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to, you know, cause you to lose your inheritance you could say i mean it's and, your salvation it's a, yeah yeah and it wouldn't yeah. make sense for him to say that if it wasn't possible and if it wasn't something we had control over right that's what is the point more of prescriptive and descriptive uh yeah. before i before i go on that you you said a few times and i want to touch on it just real quick because a few times out of this last hour you've quoted second peter 3 9 um yeah we need to go to that yeah, that's that's something that I would can be completely in disagreement with when you say that God wills that all. See, this is this is how I see. It. I got to be honest and blunt. What I see is how are y'all describing? Is God is basically he's on his throne and he's waving his hands trying to get our attention. He's just waving and waving and poking and throwing objects in our spokes to make us fall and to get us to pay attention. And that's just that's not the God I read about in the scripture. And this is why I point to so we we are uh, as as reformed. I, I point a lot of emphasis on God as sovereign. Um, and one I want to point to that real quick, and then I want to jump to another one. Then I want to discuss the text if we could. If I could do that sure. real quick. Um, now the quote that you you have quoted was from Peter, Second um, Peter three nine. I'm just going to read the quote, and then I want to carry on what I was saying. But if I could start from um, uh, actually, just start with nine. The Lord is slow, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. That is, uh, is that the quote that you were saying earlier? Um, virtually that in, that, in that idea. First Timothy 2 as well. Okay, yeah, before... Before we uh, diagnose that text real quick, uh, the, the one thing I was uh, saying, you, you said that God gives us a fish hook. Um, and he's basically, you know, we can resist that hook and so on and so forth. Um, then I would, I, I would, my interesting question would be, would be in Ezekiel 36 that a lot of people like to quote. Because um, what I see is God taking all action and we respond, that we do respond to it. Um, because in verse um, 24, he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. I will bring you to your own land. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and all from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and be careful and cause you to walk in my statues and to obey my commands. These are him taking action and then we respond and he's the one causing this action. For who brings us into the faith is is going to finish it. He will present us without blemish, spot. And that, go if ahead. I add to that, uh, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who, who by His power, by by God's power, is why we are kept. Why our inheritance is unperishing, uh, unperishing, and and will never fade away because He's the one that's keeping us in, uh, keeping our inheritance in heaven. That's First Peter three. If we just go to it really quickly. First Peter one three. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith." for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time mm. sure so the passage does say that the gift is imperishable but it doesn't say that we can't reject that gift right i would agree that the parish of, that the um that eternal that... life is imperishable but it doesn't say it in the text that once you receive this imperishable gift you cannot reject it so yeah, that's kind of looks like you're reading it, into the text a, there i feel like you're making a, a case by silence of the text well, what about That's what I would pick up on you? Yeah. What about just going to Peter again? Just jump ahead to Second Peter two twenty and following, and he says, "For if they, having escaped the defilements of the world through knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they've been saved, and they are again entangled in the world and overpowered, then the last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than, after having known it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered." that we delivered unto them, right? And so literally Peter is saying in his own words that you can lose your salvation. Now we're again, we're going back. Uh, uh, I, I can't bounce on that because what is the first verse of chapter two? Of uh, two Peter two? Yeah. yeah I, I have it pulled two. up right now. I can go ahead and get to it. I've got five screens going on here. I have three screens, but like. So you have a uh, second Peter two, two one. verse two, 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 one. Okay. Yeah, there are false prophets among the people, just as there are okay, false teachers among so you. Okay, that, so uh, that opened up the entire text of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. Because there's false prophets among you. So he's not talking about real believers. He's in talking about a false prophet. That's the well, context of what he brought up. Just But the context is he's talking to real believers, and he's warning them about destructive heresies, heresies that can break their faith. Ah, it's not But, okay. Let me let me jump to Second Peter three nine where I was wanting to a second ago. Okay. You said, um, "Be patient with you, not wishing that any should perish." I want to know who the you is. Who's you? I think it's fair to understand this in a general sense. Uh, the clearly, it's the the intended uh, readers initially of uh, of his letter of his epistle. Okay, uh, so God's not willing that any should be should perish, but. Can, it's interesting that in Second Peter 2, um, verse 3, he says, And their greed will export you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Also in verse 
9, he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So is God keeping them under pun under punishment until that day of rejection or judgment, but at the same time willing that none should be perished? Well, all of us are unrighteous. So all of us are under punishment in a sense until we accept and work with God and his grace. So, I mean, that if, if, if you're not careful, it's going to apply too far. Well, it's, it says it was, they were keep, he was keeping them under the unrighteousness, under punishment. He was, they were being kept. So if they're being kept in the unrighteousness, under punishment, then that what doesn't make any yeah. sense. It doesn't make any sense for him to be willing that none should perish, but at the same time, keeping them under judgment. That There's sounds like two wills to me. I don't think I fully understand what it is you're asking. Peter. Which Peter. passage is this? Is this first or second Peter? Because I've got both tabs up. Second Peter 2, um, 3 and verse 9. Okay. Keeping in mind verse the context nine. of verse 1. Let me see here. Okay, yeah, I got it. Because he knows how to keep, he knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep, he's using contrast, the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So if he's keeping them under punishment, what is he saying that I, that this, this is what boils back to who the you is. And, and I believe the King, King James says usward. Not that the King James is more than anything. I'm just using a different translation. Usward. So Paul or Peter, excuse me, is including himself in this us. Right. So he's I, indicating a body of believers. Because what, what I would say is Second Peter 1, 1, the very first verse in Second Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's referring to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. He's referring to believers. Right. He's referring, referring to believers. So this so wouldn't be a universal, every single person has ever lived. I think that'd be eisegesis. So why does he say in Second Peter 3, he gives this warning about interpretation of Scripture. He says, uh, our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, speaking as he does uh, in all of his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, beware, lest you be carried away with the error of lawless men and lose your own stability. He's yeah, that's stability within believer. that's yeah, but that would be stability. That's not in that's not a salvational text. That's not a salvational issue is what he's bringing up. I mean, there's a lot of theology that's going around in true believers that are just an error. It's easy to be an error and lots of things and truly be a believer. These are definitely so, warnings that he does it in Galatians. Right. Okay, so I have a quick question. Um, so would you say it's possible to start off as a true believer but then have something happen to the point where you no longer want to be a true believer no no because no. what happens in the regeneration when 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 god acts and bring a spiritually dead sinner to spiritual life they they are granted new desires they have that desire to please god they have that desire to do that so which would you say that that passage says that they cannot resist those desires well, we can well, all sin. We're still sinners. Of course we're not knocked that out, but... <laughs> but, but that... So we can't sin seriously enough to the point where 
our salvation is in jeopardy, even though Paul I, I, explicitly well, says that we can. Well, it yeah, says that we are. No, I would say that he keeps us and he causes us to to walk in his statutes and ordinances. So, mm -hmm. so would you say that he forces us or inclines us to do so? Well, how could you not? I mean, how could you not as a regenerate? This is this is as simple as the logic of it. How could you not follow Christ? How would you how, not be like Peter and the rest of them? Are you going to fall? Adam? Yeah, that's another good question. Okay, well, Adam disobeyed with a will. And there's a difference. We cannot compare before Adam fell to the yeah. dead in sin afterwards. Yeah, that, that's unethical. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't. It's it's contrasting too much. We cannot use Adam before the fall and then the fall. Well, the point is he didn't have a sin nature. And he still fell. So clearly it's possible. I don't have to look at it for anything other than just noting that it's possible to fall without a sin nature. So if we've been regenerated, and of course, Scripture speaks of, our, of salvation as a process, right? It's not just a once and done thing. Right. That's why it says, you know, I'm being saved. I am saved. I will be saved. I have the hope that I'm saved. I'm working out my fear, my salvation with fear and trembling. You know, there's all these different passages in the scripture that talk about salvation. And it's a process. It begins the moment that we're given faith, but we have to abide. That's why the scriptural... Uh, it's did, abide, abide, well, abide. Remain. Did God, did God know and test him for a specific reason? Did he know he was going to fall or not? That we don't know. Uh, yeah, we, I, there's well, no way we don't know because Jesus is slain before the foundation of the world. The elect are chosen before the foundation of the world. So before you even read into Genesis, before anything straight, that text would refute that he did not know. That was okay, going, so if that's the purpose God, of Jesus. That's the that's the if purpose God, of Jesus. If God knew that Adam would sin, would that directly cause him to sin just because God knows he will? Well, if he knows that Adam is going to sin and there's nothing Adam could have done to invalidate God's knowledge that he would sin, right? So his knowledge caused him to sin. Well, could he have done otherwise? Could he have invalidated the knowledge of God that he would sin. People do it every day. He has. He knows someone's going to sin, and then they don't sin. It doesn't by their sense. own free will. No, it doesn't make free, it doesn't make sense because and, and and I had to refer to a lot of what a text a lot of people like to use is in um, uh, Isaiah's um, Isaiah forty six nine. Remember the former things old. I am God. There is no other. I am. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from beginning, the ancient times have not yet been done. Saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, and the man of my counsel from far, from the far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. And I have purpose, and I will do it. So we have that he has declared the beginning from the end i do not i will not say that god did not know if adam was going to sin or anything like that and we can say well he tested him or things like this no i believe that he deliberately knew he was going to sin jesus is the savior god the father is the elector jesus as his role is the savior jesus or the holy spirit is the seal this is all trinitarian and throughout the entire bible that you have to do as well tying into this so that's why I ask with Adam, it's did you know did God know? Do we know? Well, yes, because the text it says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Why say that if it was something that he thought of later? 
the promise given in Genesis three fifteen was a promise that he already knew. It's not a promise he come up with. So I, I don't disagree with that, and mm -hmm. I I don't think the Catholic position has to disagree with that either. Um, the question still becomes: Can God accomplish His will? Does he need us to be mere puppets or can he, is he so powerful that he can incorporate our free decisions into his design? Well, yes. that, that's a, I think that's a straw man because we don't believe that we're robots. We make choices. I mean, we affirm that we make choices. It's just, we act upon the desires of our heart. So you would and, say that God planned those choices ahead of time. In well, some aspects, I would, I would say uh, Acts 4. Right, and it's not your choice. Is it your choice? Well, he That's decreed right. that uh, we would have a will. He decreed the will of man. But the will so, is distorted, and that and that's compatible with God's decree. We see this in Genesis 50, uh, 20. We see this in Acts ten, or Acts four, and Isaiah ten. All these passages where the the Assyrian king and and they did what they wanted to do but they were judged on the intentions of their hearts. I mean, that's compatibilism. God decreed that event to take place, and they were judged for the very event they did based on the intention of their hearts. So that's compatible. I don't see a problem with that at all. Okay, well, if Jesus says... I, I got to go back to John 6 real quick. To say. If Jesus says that all that the Father has given me will come to me. Right. If he's making this statement um, and he says he can lose none. So there's... Can he lose how Judas? Is, how, how is, Judas was never a believer. We never have any indication that he was born again believer. He's but we do, we do have indication that he had the same powers as in the sense of... Uh, as an apostle, when he sent out, and Jesus tells him to cast out demons, proclaim the gospel, so on and so forth, we have no I indication. That that, that he I phrased that question that. incorrectly. I meant to say that did he allow Judas to walk away? Judas well, was, was a right. fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, Judas was, was meant to be. It was the prophesied. Son. So if so, if God prophesies that a particular person will commit a crime. Would it follow from that that no matter what you do or what you say to that person, they will commit that crime, even if you like tie them down to a bed or something like that, or you tie them down to a chair, you make sure they can't get away? Would you say that 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 prophecy will come to pass, even Absolutely, if you... if God decrees it? Okay. If God okay. decrees it, yes, it will come to pass. Right. This is, I mean, we we see the fulfillment being spoken of about Judas, and then it happens. Jesus mm -hmm. even says it, so this fulfilled. But the reason it comes to pass is because God sees it as it's happening outside of time. It's not – I think it's really easy to put God in a box where he's right here with us and he just knows what's going to happen. But it's it's not the same thing when you're God. For him, a thousand years is as a day, a day is as a thousand years, right? He, all of time is present to him. So he sees what's going to happen because he's there when it's happening right now he knows how i'm going to die he knows that i'm going to yell at my kids a little too much next week uh he knows that i was born on a tuesday in in november in 1980. <laughs> he's there at all points in between for me for you for everyone else right so he is omnipresent inside of all of, of history 
And that's what makes it hard for us to understand these things. But because it's foreordained, because he's seen it, because he knows how everything is going to work out, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not still completely free actors working inside of that plan. Um, yeah, because even even to obey God's prophecy, you have to choose to do so of your own free will. Okay, well then let me look back to Acts 4, what I read earlier. What your hand has predestined to uh, uh, to happen. So what do you think it means by predestined? Like, what do you think that word means? Does it that mean it's that God deliberately... That, is, that, he, that yeah, action of the crucifixion itself was predestined. There, there, was, there was nothing that they acted, they did what they wanted to do, okay? They, they, yes. they wanted to do what, uh, they wanted to crucify Jesus. They could not have done otherwise. They did what they wanted to do, but that action was predestined to take place. Yeah. Could they have thought about other things that they may have wanted to do to him? I mean, that's that's irrelevant. The that's thought really irrelevant of what they wanted to do, but they, because you can act on your thoughts. Could they not act upon any other thoughts that they had, or they couldn't get out of God's decree of what was to happen? No, no. absolutely not. There's no way. And if he's decreed the beginning from the end, then it's that's this is what scares me is is what we deal with on so much not y'all not but this it push starts pushing into open theism right that there's these different ideas and things that God's just trying to pick up the pieces real quick and fix it and picks up the pieces here and fix it and wave his hands and that's not the the decree you know and and sometimes I think it can be a straw man to say, well, we're like puppets or things like this. We're all robots. And I, and well, you can I, see how I, people could see I it that say, way. Like if they don't understand theology, you can see how they would see that as kind of like God pulling the strings as opposed to us having actual freedom. Like, of course we know better. We know that you mean something a bit more complex, but if somebody off the street were to see, you know, were to, um, um, if you were to articulate your position to somebody on the street who doesn't know any theology, you kind of see how that, how, how it would seem at least initially. Well, as if it's kind of like that, you know, like God's in control directly as if we get really yeah, yeah, but when you show them this, uh, but that's, that's, that's a, I feel like that's more of a, mis, a misunderstanding on yeah. compatibilism. Uh, like I tried mm. explaining earlier because compatibilism is the belief that God's decree of what's going to take place is compatible with the will of that creature to do what he wants to do. So, I mean, it's like the vulture in, uh, that goes into the room with the two piles of meat and carrots. I mean, what what is it going to choose by nature? It's not going to choose the carrots. It's going to choose the meat because that, that's what it wants to wants to mm -hmm. eat. And then you switch, you you flip it around with the with the rabbit. Well, what's the rabbit's gonna gonna eat? It's the pile of carrots. It's because that's what their nature. That's what they they desire to eat. And they're always going to go after the carrots. To now put a sinner who loves his sin before a holy God and their sin. What are they going to go to? Now, I came up with a question I wanted to ask you. It's it's in regards to that. Um, so it's about that. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it here real quick. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So if an unregenerate person, which is to say that somebody, which is to say that it is somebody who has not yet been given the grace of God. If one. an unregenerate person was presented with the opportunity opportunity to steal and get away with it, what do you think they would do? Would they have the freedom to say no to that sin, or are they so under the rule of sin that they could not say no? Well, no, they, I... they would do what they wanted to do, but that's irrelevant to the, the question of if they're able to hear what the gospel message. Because John 8, again, like I quoted earlier, they cannot hear the words of Christ. They're right in front of him, and they can't hear the words mm -hmm. of God. 
And and Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing. And if they can't mm -hmm. have faith, then they, they can't come to they can't come to God in faith. If they right. don't. But John 8 doesn't diagnose the reason they can't hear. And I mean, it says because you follow your father, but it doesn't tell you why they follow him. They haven't. Okay. It doesn't say it's because they had or hadn't received the grace. Um, it doesn't give us a, a clear diagnostic as to what's going on there. Just that they can't hear, at least not right now. Uh, and they can't hear because they're following their father, the father of lies, Satan, the devil. Right. That doesn't imply that they can't subsequently receive grace. They can't subsequently repent. Uh, it's, it's taking a snippet in time and trying to expand it into um, a snippet of their eternal destiny. And can we look at? Uh, you mind, hey, hey, can we look at uh, verse forty-seven real quick? Uh, yes, this is John. John, John eight forty-seven. He who is uh, uh, he who is of God hears the words of God, and for this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. What was the reason that they could not hear the words of God in verse forty-three? Because they were of God. So, but what does being of God mean? Would it have been that they resisted? Because you very clearly could come up with an explanation of this. It says they but, weren't God because they resisted. Well, it, it says they were not of God, so they couldn't hear the words of God to resist, right? Would you say that God does not want them to hear those words or that he doesn't let them? Oh, I believe that firmly that God keeps people from hearing. He, right. You see the, the would it be because he wants Israel them? Would it, would it be because he doesn't want them to be saved or that he doesn't think they're deserving of his grace? Uh, it's not a matter of deserving of grace, but none of us deserve grace. That's, that. that's the point of grace. Grace is undeserving. Grace is it's undebted. But yes, God, especially with Israel at that given time, he says it in John 12, therefore they could not believe for Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. At least they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. That's a fulfillment of Isaiah that has been brought upon Israel for the rejection but whom could they not see? Who was keeping them from seeing? God. Well, it doesn't actually, it, it could be either way if you read that text. Because again, all it's saying is they couldn't see. And they couldn't see because it wasn't revealed or they, they couldn't hear, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily, I'm not looking at the text, so I'm, I'm trying to work from memory here. Um, you know, but that doesn't give you the full diagnosis as to why it was that they were in that state at that moment. It doesn't mean that it wasn't because they freely chose to be there. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that 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 wasn't going to work out with with God's foreordained plan. Um, but it doesn't mean that that they had no part to play in being in the state in which they couldn't hear or couldn't receive. Right. Um, well, the scripture just doesn't say, it doesn't say that you're trying to make the text say more than it does. Well, I'm just reading the text, though. I didn't I'm, I didn't add a word or my interpretation. I just read the text. No, but you, you did add your interpretation, whether you whether you intended to or not, because you're saying, well, clearly they're in this state for this reason. And the text doesn't say they're in this state for this reason or that reason. It just says they're in this state. But that, but judgment comes upon Israel for rejecting the Messiah. Right. And what does that judgment right. entail? Is that hell or is that just to lose their nation and their people and to be chastised by the Assyrians, etc.? Who will uh, keep you from the gate or the condemnation that's to come to you that he says to the Pharisees? Who, how will you escape hell, basically? So, mm -hmm. how how would that's that be? on their own? They can't that be, be that be condemnation. You're right, that'd on be, their own, they can't be, because it 
But that doesn't that doesn't negate what I've said. This is the thing. What you're seeing works perfectly well inside of either your system or mine, which is why this text on its own isn't going to be a proof text. I'm not a proof text is a pejorative term to it, but it's not saying the thing you want it to say, but it sounds like the thing you want it to sound like, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. Well, if I ask you the same question, or if Matthew asks the ordinary person to read this, what would they think? I don't know. But there are uh, Peter and I would, us I, would I would think the same the thing is all better that are hard to hear. There are things in, no matter. But this, but this isn't Paul. This isn't Paul. This is this is the gospel. This is the clear indication of anyone. This is universal to anyone. This isn't directly even just to believers. This is a, a universal. This is an epistle to a church. So in the same thing is where I ask um, and kind of how would a person take uh, Matthew eleven twenty seven, which says all things have been handed to, over to me by the father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. Chooses to reveal him who reveal the father. Who does he so, reveal? That's yeah, he's revealing it. That's that's not that's whom that who's in control of the choosing of whom he who reveals. Not the person. Clearly, this is this. I mean, that doesn't say that he's going to reveal himself to everyone or to no one. And it doesn't say that the people he reveals himself to aren't going to reject him. Kind of like in and you quoted John six earlier. And it's this passage. Pull up here. Hang on a second. Yeah, because Uh, hermeneutically, that's where we'd start putting all this together. Not just this one text of cherry picking. But when we start hermeneutically looking at all the text, it would clearly indicate that these specific group i mean i think it's very interesting that you know he he talks about this group that's given to him um and the high priestly prayer it's exactly who he prays for he prays only for them this group that's given to him and not for the world so if god so wished that everyone should should be saved and for the world as universal then why isn't jesus praying for them because in uh, romans 8 we know that he is making intercession for us at all times but he's not making intercession for everyone. This is where this is where I said earlier it would start touching into other points, and that would be in my be limited. limited to the yeah. 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 Yes. So this would be a group that he's speaking about, those predestined, those foreknown, not foreknown as he knew that they was going to respond, because he could as sovereign God just make them respond. Dad, can purely. You, can you let the bunny out? I wanna... No. Dude. <laughs> my bad. My bad. My son went my bunny out. No, that's totally fine. We all like rabbits. But that's yeah, I got a rabbit. But that's that's the kind of text. That's why I asked earlier. Like, how would a person just a normal person just read this and saying whom he chooses to reveal himself? It's obviously showing that he's revealing himself to certain people. How do we harmonize? How do we harmonize? This is the question since. Two, last 2,000 years, or at least from the Reformation of a lot of things, of saying free will, predestination. How do we harmonize this? Because there's a general call to everyone to repent and believe upon the gospel. That's a universal call. But at the same time, only some can respond. But if it's a universal call, it's for everybody. And, you know, God so loved the world, the, the cosmos, as as John puts it, right? So the the point is, this is for everybody. Now, there may be certain times and certain places where Jesus reveals things to certain people and not to others for the purposes of his own 
um, working things out. But that still is trying to take what he's doing in a moment, like when he tells the apostles not to tell anyone that he's the Messiah after Simon Peter confesses it in Matthew 16. Nevertheless, and he tells them not to tell anybody right now, right? And it's because he's not ready for that to be revealed, but it's not because he wants to keep people totally in the dark perpetually, just that for this moment right now, this is not for them to hear. And it may be the case that in his divine knowledge, he knows that by by keeping them in check for the moment, more people will receive the message in the end. So he's like, just hold off, be be calm, wait a minute. And you know, he knows what will eventually follow. He knows that the, the church will grow and the church will build. And if they would have immediately gone out, maybe it would have changed things in a way that would have been negative. So he's literally, in a sense, working out that same foreordained will simply by asking his apostles to, to keep what they heard quiet, right? But that doesn't imply that they're never supposed to tell anybody ever or anything like that. And, and it's the same with this passage, right? Those he reveals himself to, uh, at least in the moment, is not necessarily you know at any particular moment in time, right? It, he might reveal himself to you and not yet to me, but then down the road to me and then later on to my neighbor, Steve, and then later on to, to somebody else. It's not making a claim either way that he's simply refusing to reveal himself to some people indefinitely to their utter destruction. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily follow from that that he wants to exclude other people. Right. So, I mean, then why doesn't because, he pray for everyone? That would be my ask. How do you harmonize that when he says, so, I pray for them? Let me finish. Doesn't, I pray for them. John 17, 9. If I pray for them, or it may not be 17, 9. It may be sanctified. Um, John 17, he prays. I think it's interesting. I, I would like love y'all's thoughts. John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We have world. Tells you not to be of the world. Things like this. Context of the, of the world itself. But let's say... For the universal world um then why doesn't jesus pray for the world god so loved the world but jesus doesn't pray for the world but he's praying for a specific group intercession for that group yeah for why? the group that was given and that, that that would be a that would be a parallel with john 6 and and i would say john 10 because they would be talking about the sheep those whom yeah. were chosen in ephesians 1 and those whom he chose from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him so, I mean, yeah. not to get on a different topic, but uh, that seems to be the consistent message I see in Scripture about there's this particular people for yeah, whom it's given to the Son. And those people are whom he prays for in John 17. The one making intercession for also ties with Romans 8, predestination. Those whom you justified, glorified, sanctified these are past tense words this isn't something that's coming this is something that's done and ongoing it's, and they had no free will in the process well, I, I mean i'm pretty sure we kind of no what it boils down to it is no we absolutely not well whom god has given to christ they will come this is in our understanding of irresistible grace so but will they all stay that the, does it say that they will stay he will lose none yeah, so it does say but it doesn't say that none will walk away, though. Yeah, because if they walk away, there was never of us. Yeah, then, sure. yeah. And and if, if they did walk away, okay. This you're, is you're, you're trying to build a case on silence yeah. of the text. And we're saying, just well, looking at the text. well it, you said that it doesn't say that they won't walk away, right? Well, it doesn't say that they can't walk away. Right, but if if you're saying that they can walk away and they do walk away, then doesn't that mean he he failed because it says that he would lose none no, that, of that that means that the person he didn't failed, lose. not Jesus. 
but he still lost someone, right? Then they then they walked away glorified according that to person Roman allowed them that, that person allowed themselves to be lost. Right. You... But that was someone who was given to the son. So that's still losing someone. Yep. It, it, like like if I said to um, if I went to the store with three children and and I said that I would bring them all back and I would lose none of them. And then I come back with two. Did I lose one? Because one walked away and I couldn't find them. Yes, but again, you're analogizing in a way that, that doesn't quite fit the text. Uh, it is an argument for silence, but the silence is real. He's listing things that can separate and not. So take, for instance, Roman 8, uh, verses 38 and 39. You know the verse. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Here's a bunch of things that can't separate us from Jesus. But you know what it doesn't mention is us. It doesn't say we can't be separated. It that's, says here's a list of things that can't separate us. But okay, that's wait, wait, wait. using an argument from silence yeah, out of it. That's, and, and it's, it's that, him but, saying. Here's the things that can't separate you. But then right? we have the author and finisher of our faith. We have the absence of. He says these are the things that can't separate. But okay, but who, but Jesus finds the sheep, and what does Jesus do with the sheep? Does he make the sheep walk? Does he make the sheep follow? No, Jesus picks the sheep up, puts him on his shoulders, and carries him back home. This is right. a salvific, same example of what he's doing. He finds the sheep and brings him yeah, home. So that's that's. You know, I don't see how that negates. Still... I don't see how that negates free will, though. Yeah. Once you're back but, in the flock, but you're assuming wrong. free will, though. Cause, cause, Where's your free will when you're being carried? It, it, <laughs> right, because again, it, neither one of us has said that there aren't times when God can't act against our free will or put us in fact every single time that god gives us grace initially because salvation has to come through grace and grace is a free gift from god it has to be entirely god-sided it has to be right. entirely him initially but at that point we cease to be dead things and we become a living thing and at that point we are yep. free to cooperate with grace or, or not or so we come un so we come unregenerated can you show me a text where somebody comes unregenerated right um in those that would be a Oh, but we can so to be consistent, you would have to say it from silence. It depends on what you mean. Stuff. It depends on what you mean by unregenerated, though. Okay, unborn again, John three five. Unborn, so unborn, unborn again. Show me a text to say that, that says they unregenerated. They were born again, and then they ceased to be born again. So, which is to say that they forfeit the grace of God that they received? No, no, you. The, you, the, the problem is again, verse thirty seven, John six. It says. Uh, let me bring it up again. It says uh, John 6, 7. It says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. He, he came to do the will of the Father. And that's to lose none of them. If he loses someone, even if they just walk away from their own free will, then he still lost someone who was given to him. Mm -hmm. That you you can't say that he can lose not nothing, and and then he actually loses someone, because then that would be failing to do the work of the Father. Because this is depends on how you define losing someone. If you if you mean it's like he lost someone because he wasn't competent enough, or he lost someone because they no longer wanted to 
be with him. It also but says I, the will of the father is that he would lose none. And that's what Jesus came to do. But that doesn't mean that the will of the father is always in all situations going to come to a complete end because he allows us to work within that will. He works with. So, again, God wills the salvation of all. But that doesn't mean all will okay. be saved because okay. salvation is a street. Okay, but uh, okay, I don't. What I get issue with is it sounds like it sounds like this this cooperation is is this where you're talking about earth? maybe when y'all said it earlier but basically that we are um, we're damaged we're distorted from Adam's fall but when I see what he says to Adam is you will die and not only did he physically die but he also spiritually died and we see this and that's why I, I bring up Ephesians two where he says uh, you were dead in sin. He didn't say he was crippled. He didn't say he was harmed. He didn't say he was sick. He said you was dead in sin. But God, that that, that you got to stop there. But God, while you was dead in sin, but God did this, and then he brings you to life for you to accept or reject, and then you reject, and you're like, okay, we'll go back to your spiritual deadness. That's acting like God. Why would God bring us to life and then back to death and life and death and life and death? Because, because we are cooperators with grace. But James gives us this warning. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from error, somebody who's wandered from the truth, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So somebody who's in the flock can wander away and they can be brought back is what James is saying. And if it happens that they're brought back, then in fact, graces are overflowing in abundance, right? And this, this lines up with what John says about sin. We still sin. If anyone says they don't sin, they're, they're lying we need to right. be repenting of our sin constantly and there is some sin that is deadly he says that in first john 1 5 right uh not all sin or first john 5 not all sin is is deadly but some sin is deadly so some sin damages our relationship with god some sin absolutely kills it and so it's turning our back on god unless we repent and come back again and that's us cooperating with grace but who grants repentance who, who should initially Initially, God, the God so if, the yeah, ability wait, 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 to repent. Yeah, wait, wait. Okay. Matthew, you're breaking up. Here, let's go to Second Timothy hmm? real quick. Can you hear me now? Second. Hang on. What was Matthew saying? Okay. What were you saying, Matthew? Go ahead. No, I said that God initially gives us the grace to be able to repent. No, God causes repentance. Uh, what is that? Second Timothy. Yeah. Second so what do you mean by what do you mean by cause? Hey, he says that. Uh, I think John was about to go to it in yeah, Second Timothy. Let me read. Let me just read it. Okay. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That repentance is what leads to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by do, to do his will. So they were held captive by the devil to do his will. And then they are granted repentance by God, and that leads to the knowledge of the truth. And so, so would, that's something that's given to us. So would you I, say that they repent and turn from their sin, even if they don't really want to? It's because God essentially forces them to. Well, it's not forcing. It, 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 it's something that they wouldn't do outside of regeneration. Exactly. So seeking to, God. And no man seeking God. That's Romans three. That's what we were trying to bring up earlier. But I don't know if you want to go there. Sure. But, uh, it, it says no one seeking God. That's present tense. That's a that's something that 
they're not presently okay doing. so as of so as of that moment nobody was seeking god or is it was it the past yeah. then or that's period that's well, no that's one period. seeks god that's the point and and yeah. and chapter one you have gentiles and chapter two okay. you have jews in chapter yes. three you have jews and gentiles as in the yes. whole mm -hmm. world no one is seeking god and that's so, why done. so what reason do i have to accept that passage as being literal as opposed to hyperbolic well, verse 19 and 20 here we go <laughs> because the reason the reason i say that is because i contrasted with another verse that says that all have sinned when it's pretty obvious that you know disabled people can't sin or infants can't sin because they don't really have a fully developed will yet so that's why i'm saying that it's because when it seems like it seems like it's the reason i'm saying this it's because it seems like it's hyperbolic basic because it, you know it can't be true you know it can't be true that all literally all of sin because we have examples of people that, that don't sin jesus being one of them he's 100 percent human jesus and 100 god so he's referring to he's referring to jews Fallen and gentiles man. yeah I like mean, he's talking about the whole of the world yeah he's he's referring to every single person the, the, there's no way out of that yeah he says it in verse 19 the whole world may be oh, accountable right to god so if the whole world is being held accountable to God, he's using the aspect as into everyone. No one is seeking God on their own. No one. No one understands. No one right. seeks God. All have turned aside. I mean, there, right. it's well, and we would still we would agree. It's not, we can't seek God apart from uh, apart from grace. So again, that's actually something we agree with. Like that's that's not really a point of contention. But this grace. Uh, yeah. The question really comes down to is he given grace to everybody? Is he given grace to some people? And I think that comes back to our initial discussion, um, going all raining the whole discussion back in. And I apologize, I'm probably gonna have to drop out here in a few minutes. No, um, it's, it's life. <laughs> I promised my wife I'd spend some time with her this evening, uh, and I want to stay in her good graces. So <laughs> um, it's a very, very important thing. Um, and I too much comedy. I lost the I lost the thread there. Um, we're talking about grace. We're talking about so whether or not God gives grace to everybody, um, whether or not the grace is the same, whether or not the grace is is resistible. I mean, this is all coming back to the same conversation over and over again because the way that you understand and answer those questions is going to inform the way you're going to read these these scriptural passages. And that's the thing about scripture is again, it's never a standalone issue. You have to read it within the context of how it was given, right? You have oh, to know. I completely agree. I completely agree. <laughs> Bro, we're right with you. I mean, uh, it's just when when we say irresistible grace, do you believe that when we say irresistible grace, we mean that we never resist the Holy Spirit or anything like that? Is that how you understand irresistible grace? Well, the word irresistible seems to be the case that it can't be resisted. That's well, the, kind of the, in like. What's the point of irresistible grace would be in regeneration at the point of uh, at the point that God has ordained for a sinner to to become spiritually alive for him to bring a, a dead sinner into spiritual life. That's when he actually irresistibly brings them to spiritual life. So okay. it's not that we never actually resist and see actually there's going to be an interesting tension point where we actually have a lot of agreement again the only difference is you're viewing this as a once and done thing even while we're in our temporal lives whereas we as catholics would understand that the moment that it's irresistible is the moment you step into eternity in that friendship with god so there is a point where it's irresistible and you cease resisting it entirely but it's not in this life where we're in time and we can backslide we can turn back um which is again the entire point of the new testament is is it is correcting abuses it is correcting people um who are sinning 
who are who are dying in sin. Even St. Paul says, you know, receiving the body and the blood of the Lord unworthily is, is being guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. He says, that's why some of you are dying. And whether that's a physical death or spiritual death, it, it's not entirely clear, but it very likely is a spiritual death, which is the more severe death, right? Oh, um, no, I would disagree. That's in the body of the Lord's Supper. That's in 1 Corinthians 11. That yeah. That's that's wrapped around the Lord's Supper. That's yes. There's no way that's a spiritual death. That's a physical death. He even contrasts that with being weak, sick, and dead. So weak, yeah. sick, that's a physical form, and then dead. That's physically dead. That's not but it also can dead. be there's a not, poetic way of understanding. It doesn't that's have not, to. You could be that, spiritually sick, you could be spiritually weak, and you could be spiritually yeah, dead. Yeah, but we're, we're not spiritually sick. We're spiritually dead, Ephesians 2. So this isn't done in right. the contrast of the Lord's Supper. This is physically sick, physically weak, and physically dead. This is not, we cannot make that poetically at all. That's not a spiritual death. That's, there's no way. That's, yeah, that, that I've, I feel like that'd be too much reading. Yeah, that'd uh, be reading it. Right. Okay, that's well, a, what you, you was talking about something that's interesting. I just want to kind of contrast the two. Yeah. I, I brought up Ezekiel 36, and he said, I will put my spirit within you. What spirit is he putting within us? Uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay, you would agree with that. Oh, Ephesians Lord. one would agree with that too. Then, um, the, the actually, just let me read the text so I don't have to paraphrase. This. I'm going to just say for what it what it says. Um, give me two seconds. Um, Ephesians one. What did I miss? Fourteen. Um, uh, you're to you missed that. But uh, I, I I want a moment. Okay. We were gone. Okay. So <laughs> Ephesians one thirteen. So, if, well, here, let me say it to you real quick, Matthew. So if I, I quoted Ezekiel 36 earlier, which when I asked, when he said, I will put my spirit within you, what is the spirit that he puts? Would that be the Holy Spirit? Right? I don't think so. Well, yeah. Okay, great. So in Ephesians 1.13, he also says, in whom you have also heard the word of truth of the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit and the Holy, or sealed with the promise in the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay. Well, you're talking about backsliding or doing anything like that. So sealed if, if with I, the promise. Promise is forelooking. Oh, okay. You're still with it. Okay. Well, let me let me forelook at that. Then also, if that spirit, we know it's a spirit because it's being grieved. But if I'm sinning, would I would be grieving the spirit? Yes. Yeah. So then, can what would you think about ungenerate regeneration? If there's a promise with even in that very text of grieving the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4.30, where he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Mm -hmm. Sealed until the day of mm -hmm. redemption. So it appears to me by this text that, that that redemption is a promise. Corresponding with Ephesians 1.36. But you're making um, the assumption so that so something so. is sealed that cannot be unsealed until the day of redemption. And the text doesn't say that either. This soda can is sealed until then the day that I want to drink it. But I can unseal it right now, even though I was actually intending this for when the world falls apart in six months. All right. Can you seal it again? Can you seal it again? Uh, I cannot. No. But if okay. I had the right equipment, I could. Okay. And now, can you, show right me, can you show me that birth back and forth in the text? Can I show you what? That's where I asked you earlier. Can you show me the regeneration back and forth in the text? People that was yeah, born James, again and then unborn James, again. Bring the sinner back from the dead. John so talks about you coincide that with being a rebirth. Say you know? So you would coincide say that. that a I want to be careful about the word rebirth because I, I would say it's not a rebirth. It's a returning. Can I, so can I give you an analogy? I give this to this. I, I call this my. Um, uh, but nobody gets to the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So if they're born again, right. but then they just come re-unturned, then they're not becoming, they're still born again, but they're just not re-not turning. 
I mean, I, I don't. Because I, I... if you're saying that it, yeah. it's just we, we, we leave, but we're not actually unborn, we're, we're not, uh, we're not, if you're saying that we're not born again when we, when we leave, then that's effectively you're not born again. So just returning would, uh, that just. It depends on what you mean by born again. Yeah. Okay, John. Then Jesus is. Jesus is very definition. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Born again. As you, you, the Spirit does this. Yeah, the Spirit is what. You do not know where it goes. All right. We're saved. So that's born again. That's that's regeneration, um, spiritual birth, however you want it. That's all the same thing. That would be in Ezekiel thirty-six, which I would coincide that it's not a water baptism. It's a blood baptism but never mind that's a different topic but right. ezekiel 36 would still be the same thing i will put a new heart within you i will cause you to do these things that's a new creation so that's a rebirth it's the same thing jesus is talking about a right. rebirth right so it's a regeneration so and, and also i don't see i don't see how using james could refer to that as like oh well he's being unregenerated he's now back dead in sin well, now and you're making then, an argument silence because all james says is someone who has the faith i'm not but i'm not making that argument though i'm not using it as i'm not using that as multiple times it doesn't say whether it can or it can't wait what text are you talking about in james that's james 5 19 to 20 james 5 20 that's i mean i'm 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 I don't see this in the text. When you know, you read a, a normal, the ordinary person reads these things. I don't see them coming to a conclusion. I mean, that don't sound like much good news. There is, uh, I mean, that sounds if, like the best good news because it means that God wants us to be cooperators. Then I, then I don't know if I have eternal life. I don't know that I won't sin again to a point that Paul, I will lose the salvation. I don't know these sorts of things disqualified paul says you can believe in vain right and he so also it, says and he also says oh i'm sorry go, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he also says that um he uses terms like um you will fall from grace right you can't fall from grace if you've never had it right he says if you return to the old testament works like circumcision for example is what he's trying to say is you cannot do that anymore that's yeah, not if necessary. you're trying to yeah and so if you, if you do that now then you the will law. fall then you will fall from grace so what does that mean when he says fall from grace 11 about us being grafted on the gentiles being grafted on but if he didn't spare the natural branches don't think he's going to spare you either you can be pruned right back off that the original is, branches can be can be grafted back on as well so or literally you can be grafted on fine and then you can be pruned off but things that are pruned off can be put back on that's part of mm -hmm. the message and we don't see it nowhere through the entire New Testament of anyone it actually occurring of these people being. It doesn't so make sense to me when Jesus says, when the scripture says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He right. is. He's the author, the finisher. It says that in uh, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God with great joy. I see emphasis on Jesus through the entire thing. What happens is where I see this is it seems as if it's all about me. God did this work. He's done this. He's made it optional. Now it's on you. I don't see that. I see a, a whole different picture from Scripture. I see that we are this, this fallen creature, and God is brought back. And, and you see the revealing of this through the entire New Testament to the end in Revelation, that this promise given in Genesis 3.15 is the unveiling of this. 
the rejoining right. between and this is god in and this is his story this isn't a story about us this isn't an instruction manual this is the proclamation of the gospel being presented of what has been done that christ sits we have a new king we have a savior we have all these things it's not a suggestion it's a command and at the same aspect that god is control of all these things he is control he is lord over salvation i don't see in the text or pick up on in any kind of form that says hey man uh, i've done this i'm waving my hands but you can resist what i see things is when a true born again believer goes through this sort of thing and they deal with issues like um paul was dealing with why was he a wretched man why was he so grievous because he's born again but he's a sinner romans 7 god brings us to these sorts of things uh you can see it with david psalms 32 psalms 51 god had his heavy hand on him he committed murder he committed adultery he did this grievous sin but he was not lost who was bringing him to repentance god was so what normally what somebody would say is well oh, he's committing adultery he's committing murder that's a salvation issue he doesn't seem to have lost his salvation at all and say god brought him to repentance he had his heavy hand on him and when he remained silent his bones ached but when he confessed his sins, he all they're doing is restoring a relationship. It's not restoring salvation. That's that's exactly what I see from the text. If my son sins against me, let's be as a father. My son sins against me. Does he not? Do does he? Is he no longer my son? Absolutely of not. Of course not. Okay, but when he comes to me in confession and he comes to me with willingness, but I brought my discipline down on him, which brings him to repentance. It's restoring a relationship. It's not restoring him being my son. I didn't cast him out of my house. He just restored that relationship with me. And that's all we're at. The, that, that's, I, I see the difference. And it's like, well, these texts are saying a warning of this and a warning of that. And I don't see it as salvific things. I don't. Okay, so I wanted to uh, point this particular for, uh, verse out to you. It's from uh, Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 29. And it says, For if we sin willfully after having the knowledge of the truth, there is now left no sacrifice for sins, but a certain dreadful expectation of judgment and the that, rage of a fire which shall consume the adversaries. A man making void the law of Moses die without any mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more do you think he deserveth worse punishments who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath esteemed the blood of the testament unclean by which he was sanctified? Who, no, 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 no. Let, me let me stop first. you there. Who is the sanctified there? Whom is sanctified? James White, Who, James White says it's Jesus, but I don't understand. It is Jesus. Sense. We know that it is passively, that it is Jesus. Absolutely. So we sanctified uh, this, by his own this, blood? It, it says, no, this is the point of understanding the high priest in the, in the entirety of the Old Testament. That's the whole point is what did the high priest do? He sanctified for his own self and right. for the people. That's the same exact course. This is hebrews it's the book of hebrews so using that to say that it's impossible to for, then you can't repent it says it it's impossible to bring them back but a minute ago you were saying that well okay well he comes out but if he repents no 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 then that'd be a contradictory because it's impossible for him to return right i tell so you is one of these texts is saying something that's not quite what you think it's saying and and that that comes to the whole issue and i don't want to take this in a totally different direction because i'm 
I'm just not going to go there. But we're trying to interpret and we're coming to conflicting interpretations um, of Scripture, and it's based on, on worldview. So then the question becomes, how do you know which interpretation is correct? Because I can tell you right now, well, everything how do you know you're reading a canonical book is another question. Everything you've laid out, at least within your view, I'm sure is is pretty consistent as well. I think that there's some passages you're going to have a hard time reconciling, but it comes down to how do you know which interpretation is is correct? Here, I'm going to give you an the example. authority to um, to um, um, to force their inter interpretation upon other people. It's yeah. not my interpretation of the text. It's just yeah. hermeneutically of the text. What does it consistently say over and over? The consistency. We're, we're not all just drawing at straws for interpretations. No, right. it just, gives us out a point where the text says it's impossible to repent. And it also says it's possible for them to come back. And so you have to be able to take one of those as being hyperbolic or possibly both, but at least one of them, they cannot be literally true in the same way at the same time. So then you have to choose which one are you going to accentuate? Which one of these is the definitive? This is the literal text. And this other one is more figurative and which one is not. And of course, squaring it with the idea yes. That, that God is love and, again, wills the salvation of all. But this is not about a, a believer that's sinning. This That's not what Hebrews 6 is, the writer is making clear, is it's a believer and then he's rejecting, he's sinning and he's rejecting this. No, this is people that just, re, the, when P, that's why he coincides it with those who rejected the law of Moses, imagine what happened to them. So what's going to happen to those that reject the sacrifice of Jesus? Even worse. It's not saying that if you just sin, it's in you're you're cast out. It's over, and that would be inconsistent. Like you're just saying, but that would be my if you went with a view. It's not my view, but if you went with the view of saying, well, that's them losing their salvation. Well, by that, it's saying it's impossible to return. That's just normally reading the text, but the text is not talking about that. It's just talking about rejection of Jesus, as in the flip side of rejection of Moses, or the excuse me, the law. That's always he's, he's directly saying there. And I would and I would completely affirm that the sanctified is not um, the person. It is Jesus is in reference of that context. No, Jesus is not sinner. He does not need to be sanctified in that concept. But if you use the same high priestly idea that he walks into the high, holy of holies, if he does this and he presents for his people, you use that same concept. Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he was baptized in accordance with the law, like. <laughs> But did he need to be baptized for washing of his sins? I think in, in submitting to baptism, he did it to fulfill all righteousness. He did it to elevate baptism into that spiritual rebirth because the whole discussion of being born again is literally sandwiched between a discussion about baptism, Jesus' baptism, a discussion with Nicodemus about baptism, and then they go out and they baptize. So literally John but, is painting a picture of this new birth and baptism. So being born uh, again is intimately connected with it, but I don't no, want to go down that no, because no, totally we're about to place. It's kind of fun, actually. It's kind of fun to bounce between the canon, uh, baptism, and then everything else. It all ties we, together. We could go, we yeah. could go pretty much anywhere, but honestly, uh, where do you guys want to go with this? You know, um, I was thinking about looking about uh, looking at the uh, patristic perspective on free will, such as like what the church fathers said, what the early church believed. That didn't help to take it into a different direction. So, so it's not just like us talking to each other, but us trying to uh, properly interpret the church fathers. And I actually have a um, a quote or two written down that maybe we could start off with. Sure. Okay. 
And for those listening, right. I think Cardinal Newman was that said it well. He says, we, we don't quote the church fathers as an authority so much as a witness. They show sure, because the, they live they live closer to the time of the apostles. So, yeah. And some of them even knew the apostles, guys like Ignatius of Antioch or Clement that's of Rome, even. et cetera. So they, they knew them. And yeah. so they were they were taught by the apostolic men. And that's the model of the early church. Paul says that in Second Timothy 2, passing on to men, pass on to men, pass on to men. Anyway, go ahead, Matthew. OK, so uh, I have one here. It's by uh, Irenaeus of Leon. And, and uh, it starts off of Polycarp, who was a disciple of St. John. So he, he would have oh. known St. John or he would have known someone who knew the apostle uh, uh, John. Hmm. Right. Do you know if he ever spoke on free will, Polycarp? Uh, off the top of my head, we don't have a lot other than the martyrdom of Polycarp that has survived to antiquity. The, the Christians were too busy being martyred to keep a lot of records, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay, so uh, I actually have a couple of them, but I don't want to like throw millions of things out there. So just focus on one. Um, okay, so this is Irenaeus of Leon, uh, or Leon's, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, so it starts off by saying this. Uh, no doubt, if anyone is unwilling to follow the gospel itself, it is in his power to reject it, but it is not expedient. For it is in man's power to disobey God and to forfeit what is good. But such conduct brings no small amount of injury and mischief. And I'm not sure if I want to continue this. It's actually a pretty big quote, so I don't know if you want me to stop there or if you want to comment on it. Because it's actually a pretty long quote. I have a couple of them, I but I don't, want, I don't want to like throw too much at you. I think your emphasis was I understood where you're going, Ralph. There, yeah. True. Um. But why? Why would the earliest Christians teach something like that if it's antithetical to the gospel? You're using. Well, you're um, citing. You're citing. You're citing one person. And 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 something with even with the video that somebody point you know Matthew like you you said something about um uh, Trent and something that he says too of uh, quoting even with Martin Luther um, well I would ask in the same time when of Martin Luther <laughs> what part of Martin Luther what 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 writings of him um, in that's the early or in the later I mean let's I mean that's you can't just pull one from its. Sure. From its aspect there. Now, I would say that would same apply to uh, virtually anyone that we check. Um, are we looking at early? Are we looking at later? Because, I mean, three years well, ago. Give you the time I, period. I should, I'm sorry about that. Three, I didn't give you the time period. Ago, it was, um, it's about 189 AD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, three years ago, I would have said the same thing. I would have been arguing free will. Three years later, I don't. So, I mean, we can apply that to every single person. So, I'm, I, okay. we can quote them. I mean, I, I would... I would go aspects of, but I haven't done it like even confessional. I haven't jumped into Westminster or nothing like that. I mean, I'm strictly trying to look at this. Um, hmm. So, but I, I understand your thinking of where you're going with in your question. I mean, John's free to respond if he wants to, but. I mean, honestly, I haven't done too much in uh, the early church fathers and stuff like that. Um, enough, enough of their writings to be yeah. giving a strong. From my knowledge, um, I'm pretty sure that they're all pretty much, they're they're not all have they don't all have like a consensus like they're not all they don't sure. agree with one another. So I, I don't think we can just. Would you say that they all agreed with the church though? Oh, mm. um, or they were like obedient to what the church taught. Well, and so that's why they say we didn't know what they did. With even Paul in the first century, there were people that he was uh, that that were already going astray. I mean. First John, he, uh, John talks about how there were already people 
many antichrists who've risen up and and yep. like the gospel and and stuff like that. So I mean, it's it's hard to to make an argument like that. Uh, I'd agree because I can. I would have. We can't go on this. <laughs> I can't. Never mind. <laughs> I can't do it. I'll start going into another. Yeah. No. Topic. I can't do it. If, if you don't mind, what I might do is make one final point that's kind of tangential, but overall this, and I'll probably have to bow out uh, at this point. It's been about two hours. Um, I've really enjoyed this, but let me first just say. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of I fun. Don't, I don't know great. you guys from Adam, literally. <laughs> I would love to join the group and, and be a member. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. If it works out, I'd love to come back at some point. So I want to thank you for that. Um, here's here's just, a, I guess, a thought experiment. If you've seen this, it's fine. Um, but again what we're coming down to is we're arguing about the 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 context of various books and scripture is very unique it was written by dozens of men uh over the course of uh many decades in the new testament and then of course obviously uh many hundreds and hundreds even uh, over 1500 years or 2000 years in, in, with the old testament i'm sorry i'm getting some mm. some lagging some feedback all of a sudden. um and so it's so hard for us who are native english speakers to try to get into the mindset of a dozen different writers writing in a, a different style at a different time um oh. sorry this is skipping a lot it's pausing my mic and everything let me just i have two things over here that i'm just gonna it kill good to on me. my computer um maybe it's just on my end but it's giving me a weird feedback too it's oh. like when you, when you okay. try and talk and you can like hear like a, a one second lag of your voice it's gone now I think, oh so. yeah that's um so and i quoted peter earlier when he talks about um you know the, the abuse of paul's scriptures and and peter famously says that you know no prophecy of scripture and the word prophecy isn't just foretelling the word prophecy just means the the spirit speaking bits if you look at the uh, the the greek lexicon it means the the things that the spirit is trying to tell you through scriptures it's, it's not a matter of of private interpretation well what's the opposite of private interpretation public interpretation and do we see that in scripture we do because the early church in, in acts 15 they make that decision about whether the gentiles had to be circumcised etc and literally they pass around this decree the greek where there is dogma um and so we're trying to argue about about words that are so hard to understand at times that it's easy to go off on a ruinous path one we cannot both be right I think we would agree that maybe you're 100% correct and I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 100% correct and you're wrong. We cannot both be 100% correct, but Jesus came to give us the truth and the truth will set us free. And it's so hard to, to argue and to, to come to an understanding of these words that we don't speak. But just to, just to illustrate this, and maybe you've seen this, maybe you've not. But if I wrote down this phrase and I just said this, Steve, what, is, what does this say and what does it mean? Can you read that? I never said you stole his money. Right. And so, you know, it's it's plain English. You know, there, there's no hidden words here. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like a trick, trick question. It's a trick question. It's not a trick, trick question, right? It's you know a what trick that question. <laughs> like, it, it makes sense, right? I, we, we, English yeah. speakers, we, we get this, right? But I can change the meaning of this sentence just by verbal inflection. Because do I mean I never said you stole his money, which means you know, maybe Matthew? Matt, Matt said you stole his money. Uh, I never said you stole his money, in which case I'm accentuating the never, right? I'm saying I never said that you stole his money. I, I wouldn't do it. I never said you stole his money. Sorry, it's backwards. <laughs> I never said you stole his money. Maybe I implied it. Maybe I wrote it down. I never said you stole his money. It was John, this, this sneaky character above me here. Uh, mm. I never said you stole his money. Maybe you embezzled it. Maybe you lost it. Maybe you mismanagement. I never said you stole his money. It wasn't Matthew's money. It was Steve's money. That you that you stole, and I never said you stole his money. 
right? Maybe you stole his job. Maybe you stole his wife. Maybe you stole his car. Maybe you stole his house. There's lots of things you, you could steal from somebody. So that one simple English phrase has so many different interpretations that are, that are nuanced based on the way that we talk and the way that we mm. use language, which is more reasonable to think that we would misunderstand. I don't actually have my Bible with me. I'm a terrible Catholic. I have it on my computer, but I don't have oh, it with me. I got, I got but, one. So, which, is, which is more likely to be misunderstood? This one English sentence that I just or, showed you don't know what it means or what Matthew's holding up there, this big fat collection of either 66 or 73 texts, depending upon yep. which canon you want to follow, right? It's far more likely that we're going to come to incorrect interpretations of that. In fact, I have a, I have a pocket constitution. I just, I just cleaned my desk today. This is a terrible day to do that because I don't have any of my props with me. <laughs> you know, and, and our forefathers were, were, were smart enough to know that, that even a, a text that fits in the back of my pocket would be so contentious that we would need an arbiter who can help us understand what it means. And Jesus, who is the divine arbiter, right, the divine judge, he understands that we need to know the truth. He understands that most people in the, in the, the span of human history are illiterate. They can't just go to the text, let alone having access to a Bible, having access, having knowledge of what the canon is. These are all side questions I don't want to go into right now. But the simple point I want to make is we're arguing about what a text means when the text itself gives us warnings uh, that personal interpretations of scripture can be ruinous, right? Uh, no matter how simple or how complex it seems to be. Uh, and at the same time, it shows us that there was an authoritative body that had binding and loosing authority. They exercised it in 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 uh, Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, they passed out the dogmas, the decrees. Jesus uses that word of both Simon Peter and, and then also the other apostles. He says, wherever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Wherever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. And he, he uses the same language. Matthew uses this language of the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says they bind these heavy burdens. It has to do with their ability to teach and to give definitive interpretation, right? And so until the church is with us, he even says, you know, even though the scribes and the Pharisees are, are idiots, you know, Matthew 23, even though they're doing excuse me, they're doing bad things, they're, they're, they're binding heavy burdens, but not lifting a finger, etc. Do what they tell you to do, but don't follow them, for they, they preach, but they don't practice, is what he says. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, he gives us the church, he gives new wineskins for the new wine, etc. And which makes more sense, that Jesus would want us to debate and argue about a book that's this thick, written by dozens and dozens of authors over the span of thousands of years in languages that you and I don't speak natively. I can pick my way through Koine Greek, uh, but I'm not fluent in Hebrew, just it baffles me. I still can't reach this day. I've tried it five different times, right? You know, is it more likely that he wants us to have these kinds of debates about the text, or is it more likely that he gave us an authority that existed in the Old Testament as well and has a counterpart in the New Testament, the New Covenant, that can make these public interpretations of Scripture that Scripture tells us you need to have? So that's just, that's a that's a hypothetical. If you want to respond to that, I don't want to like just, you know, say that, drop the mic and run, because that's not my point. Um, yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, maybe uh, we could talk about that next. We can talk about um, our next discussion could be the authority of the church or how we discern the canon or that actually um, how we could probably discern. Yeah. Hmm? yeah. Now I feel like a heel for bringing it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think uh, something that comes to my mind real quick is um, yeah. I know you got to go. No, that's um, fine. I don't you, brought up the, you brought up the sentence. Um, and yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. How would I interpret a text? that sentence um but i think that's very easy um like you said earlier um what was going on who was being spoken to what was yeah, the reason context. it was being spoken yeah. to so context um context is an important thing and i think um it's not always for a public interpretation for certain things um as a mass whole 
Um, and I think proper interpretation of things makes a lot of difference because Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth for your word is truth. I believe that he is very direct, distinct, um, in the truth. I believe that I believe John one, one, um, that is the word and the word is truth and the word was God. It was, I mean, he is God. This, so when we read this text, we are reading the very words of God. I believe that, uh, so I, I take it as a, uh, very serious very serious thing and can are we going to be 100 theologically correct absolutely not and thank god we're not saved by that we're saved by grace through faith alone uh, and not mm -hmm. about what we understand um on certain doctrines or certain things but i think there are certain things that are key issues um not to bring them up but uh, all them right now but i think there are certain ideas uh that we must understand um, like the hypostatic union for example that are clear like what was that uh, I said, like the like the hypostatic union, for example. Yeah. Right. So we have. I, I just think there's, but but I understand what you're saying there, and there's there's a lot of you know the emphasis on what's being used, how they use the words. I mean, I deal with an eschatological view like that all the time with people. How is it being mm -hmm. used? Um, so I understand what you're saying there. I think, um, but. Before you do go, I got to say, I do appreciate both of y'all's time very, very much. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Really, man. It's I, I been really awesome. Um, I know sometimes we can get firm or, or kind of jumpy at each other. It's just, I think that we're all passionate. That's just how it goes. That, that's part, with, with this kind of stuff, that's just part for the course. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're exactly right. It's passion. We're all passionate. Like, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's the redeeming quality for everyone here. We, we love the truth. We love God. We love Christ. We're yeah. only here because we all want to grow closer to Jesus. And I think that uh, I mean, that, in fact, when Matthew invited me to this, he says, you know, really, these discussions help me learn my faith better. They help me dig in deeper, ask questions I've never mm -hmm. asked. And, and so I honestly found this a very rewarding experience having this uh, this dialogue. So, Steve and John, thank you guys very much. I, I really do. Yes, thank you. Well, we would uh, also repent, uh, you heathens, and I'm going to send you in. heretics. <laughs> now, hang on. I'm, I'm sending a letter to the Pope now. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think later on we can um, definitely set up another um time to chat uh if you're not in the this group uh you're more than welcome to join the group and we can have a conversation i'll have matthew's uh, right. link to the group and i'll i'll join fair warning it is a <laughs> it is a majority of people that it's going to fall into the same category we do um that's all right. but that's as long as people I mean, are chosen, that's that's wait, the big thing doing all things in love yeah, if i have, all faith, are, we'll I have not love i am nothing amen just a genuine sound um but again, thank y'all very much. Um, it really has been a pleasure. It's actually taken a better way than I thought it was going to. Um, and that's exciting. Uh, uh, I really appreciated it, honestly. Um, I do get really uh, into it sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I will say that I did enjoy it. There's some things that I will definitely take into consideration. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much. And I guess I'm going to go ahead and bow out. Good night, Facebook group and everyone who's out there in, in Facebook land. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to bow out as well. So uh, I have to say good night to everyone. And thank you so much again for having us on here. This was this was a lot of fun. This was uh, something I don't get to do very often is have actual conversations like this. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And I've just been doing it over text for so long that, you know, to do it this way is very, very, uh, it's more rewarding. And it's easier to be charitable to the other person because, you know, it's an actual person on the other side as opposed to just walls on, uh, as opposed to uh, text on a wall. Or yeah. <laughs> it's easy to yeah. misconstrue your text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
for sure. So, all righty. Well, guys, pray for us. We'll pray for you. God bless Definitely. everybody. Uh, peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon everybody. God bless. God bless. Amen.